Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as he makes all things new. We are excited to pursue his heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. So today we're talking about joy, the prophetic imagination, and Advent, which is the way that we engage with our imagination, but we engage with what God is doing in the world, and um, he's doing so much. So, you know, you have each week a theme that you go through. The first one was hope, the second week was love, and now we're in joy. They're just all, they're just all dope, you know, themes, the, the wonderful ones of the body that we get to talk about. Um, and so we're talking about joy amazed, right? How do I walk a life? How do I live a life that I'm so aware of God's joy? And I think it is by us being amazed and us being surprised and us being like a child walking with wonder and marveling at the beauty of God's earth and marveling at the beauty of each other. As we get older, it becomes more and more difficult for us to be amazed. As I talked about before, you get you become an adult and you gotta pay somebody to make you laugh now, right? <laughs> you have to go to a comedy club and go, here's some money, make me laugh. Children will be like, what are you doing? Really? I just, you know, I just laugh naturally. It's a part of my um, disposition. It's a part of my posture in life. But as we get older and we we go through things, then we are very um, we play everything really close to the chest. Like, we, we're not amazed at all. Oh, you know, I've seen everything. You know, Solomon, that we love to quote that time, right? Solomon, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything has happened. Do you know when Solomon wrote that, he had been distanced from God? He wrote that from a place of not the wisdom and understanding and walking with the Lord, but he had been so um, discontent and he had been so disingenuous at this time. And he wrote that in this place that, oh, nothing's new under the sun. So yes, scripture is inspired by God, but there are real people who wrote those who was going through very real things. And at that time, Solomon was not amazed with anything that God had did, right? And we can be like, I've seen it all. Okay, I've I've been hurt so much. I've been doing all this. But there's a place of us tapping into the joy that God has given us that is his strength. Truthfully, as an optimist, it's easy to tap into that joy um, sometimes. But it is made not in the victory, but in the process. Everybody can be joyful on July 31st or whatever, right? The sun is shining. We got all our shorts on, you know, people are riding around the lake and it's like we're out, we can be outside all day. What about today when it's been gloomy for 10 days in a row and the sun is not shining? You don't really want to go outside. It's muddy, but it hasn't snowed, so it hasn't really got romantic yet. You know what I'm saying? We're just like in this in-between space in the city. Can we be joyful now? Joy now means so much more than it does in the victory. We live in a world where we are supposed to be joyful when we're at our, our apex, our zenith, our moment of experiencing success. I got my Grammy. I got my Oscar. Yes, I want to thank everybody who helped me through those things. But the joy and the beauty is in your process. Not when you receive that thing, but actually when you're walking through it. And we think about, oh, how beautiful it was 
in our context, it can be hard to think of how amazing it was for God to re-enter the world through Jesus. Not only was he re-entering the world, God was speaking up like he hadn't spoke up in 300 years. He had been very silent. No prophets had come. There was no expectation that Israel would come out of this darkness. For a people who are very used to having a line of prophets and seers and kings who could speak to the Lord and then speak to the people and share and they would all feel vibrant and really close to God, 300 years of distance, 300 years of forced exile, this is the world that Jesus burst into the scene on as a small child. So when God is saying rejoice, when the angels are saying rejoice, it is a joy that is broken through in the darkness. It is not a a party that has been going on for a long time. It is God re-speaking, beginning to speak to his people. In Matthew 2, 9 and 11, the wise men had gone to the king and asked and inquired, and here they go, following this star. Some people say that these wise men were actually astrologers, astrologers who had been stargazers since the time of Daniel, that Daniel's prophecies about Jesus had created this group of wise men who looked at the stars and waited for that star to appear, and then followed the star from the east, west, into Jerusalem at the very time that the child was being born. I think they were probably a little happy to be there, right? You know what I'm saying? I think they were a little amazed that this star had appeared that their ancestors had been watching for, that the people before them had been watching before. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. What does that look like? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as we know, all those things represent different parts of his divinity, of his royalty, and even some of it that was uh, mirroring the things that would be prepare his body even in death. That God was doing all this, that Christmas, even as we get a glimpse of it in modern culture, is a time to re-engage our amazement. It's to re-engage, like, we, this is what the lights and all that are supposed to do? Wow, whoa, amazing. In a house at Oak Park, somebody has a 20-foot Frosty, the snowman. 20-foot blow-up Frosty, the snowman. Now, that produces amazement. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you're, you're going to remember that house with a Frosty that size. And those blow-up things, I guess, are cool because you deflate them, and then you could just fold them up and put them in a tote or whatever for the whole year. <laughs> but that Christmas was God's effort to amaze us. And even in culture, we get a little bit of that, right? The place is covered with lights. All of those times like, oh, I just feel the Christmas spirit. You mean the Holy Spirit? You know, I just feel the Christmas spirit like it's something warm and fuzzy. And uh, I was talking about how we were watching Elf for a movie night. 
And I'm like, I'm getting very old because I'm like tearing up at the end of Elf. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) They believe. And so they're talking about Santa, but I just feel like they're talking about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, oh my gosh. Everybody's believing and singing. I'm like, I am this age now where I tear up at the end of Elf. But all these things are an attempt for us to be amazed, to be like children, to take us back to that time where we would be like, oh my... Christmas is so amazing and so wonderful. Instead of being weighed down with bills and a to-do list and we got to get stamps and we got to send out Christmas cards and we have to do all this stuff, that God wanted to engage our joy. He wanted to engage our amazement. And joy is a life filled with amazement. It's a life filled with the wonder of God's glory and of his grace and feeling thankful for each and every moment that he's given us. That too bad that these last couple of years or three years or four years, you can go back to 2001 since 9-11, that we have lived through some particularly joy-sucking times. (laughs) It's just like, I was happy until I turned on the news, and then it got horrible. And uh, I don't know what you're doing in the midst of this, God. Still doing things in that, you know? Um, there's this guy who's a, um, a scientist. I forget what the guy's name is. He's an astrophysicist, a black dude. You probably know who I'm talking about. But um, he talks about why he's an atheist. And he says that he's an atheist because of all of the myriad of things that can kill us. You have childhood illnesses. You have all the diseases, you have pestilence, you have flood, natural disasters, all these things that could kill, possibly kill a person. How can you believe in a benevolent God when we live in such a dangerous world where we are perpetually on the edge of death and danger, it seems? But me, that makes me thankful. Like God, that a life makes it through all these things to be born and to grow in this beautiful world that we live in that can also be terrible at times. And that is when a child is born. Still, in the midst of our tragedies and stuff we go through, when somebody is having a baby, everything stops. Everybody is like, everybody love my child. Everybody shower my child. This is the time where God is changing everything. I'm having a baby. And I'll be honest, as I get older and as I've had so many children, it becomes hard to be amazed at other people's babies, you know? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't really need to hold a baby, you know what I'm saying? I'm good. My wife is like, oh, look, this is such a little baby, I love you so much. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's another kid being born, all right. I'm dealing with teenagers and all this stuff. But there is something inherently inside of us that is amazed that another child has made it into this world. It is a freaking miracle. Like I've said, I've seen five children be born, right? It's the most beautifully traumatic thing I've ever gone through, right? (laughs) I'm like, this is so beautiful, but I'm traumatized. It's beautiful, but I'm traumatized. (laughs) And this is how Jesus was, in this messy way, Jesus came into the world to redeem us from sin. There's something just so beautiful about that. That he didn't fall from the heavens in a gilded crib or anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then just 
just hover over the, the ground and then just land lightly to redeem us. But it's actually this place of him coming in as a child, breaking through the darkness of silence. If we don't let ourselves be amazed, then we can avoid disappointment. But we also avoid joy. That we, we don't, it's something about like, that you have to invest your heart in, in being amazed. You have to invest your heart in it. And disappointment makes us give off smaller and smaller pieces of our heart. Because we've experienced pain. And we experience things not working out. It is as if you put all everything on the table, right? You put all your heart on the table, and it just gets stabbed. You're like, oh, oh man, I, that relationship. Oh man, that that thing that person said. Oh, I put my whole heart out there, and that happened. So you know what I'm gonna do next time? I'm going to go with uh, 35%. <laughs> I'm going to go with 25%. I'm going to go with 10%. But what happens is that that hurts our ability to be joyful and to be amazed at what God is doing. Because it is something we must enter into fully. Enter into his joy. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. It's very hard to be thankful or to praise with only a part of who we are. That by being amazed, we get daily access to his joy, and that joy does not look like victory. I'm sorry. If you have joy because you are at the end and because you are experiencing victory, that's not really joy. That's happiness. That's based on a, a moment. Joy happens in a process. What, how is our posture when... We are stuck in the rain, walking. How are we towards other people when we're frustrated, when we're tired? How does the Spirit of God manifest upon us when we're grieving? Where is that well of joy that comes from us being amazed? In Nehemiah, they had experienced an exile, and he had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple in particular. And they were building the walls. I mean, it was such a precarious situation that they were building, the, building with one hand, and they had a weapon in the other hand looking for people who would come through the walls. In the ancient world, if your walls were torn down, you were in danger. You, they were like the only thing that kept you from the danger of the world, from invaders, or I was going to say pirates, but that's only on the water, but from invaders coming in were those walls. So Nehemiah is leading a group of people. He's being trust by the, trusted by the king of exile to take his people who had been in slavery and go back and rebuild the temple. And they're doing so, and there are a lot of distractions Sanballat is a guy who's trying to get him to come and do things. And he's like, why should I go do things? I'm building something here. And so they get there and they're done. Everything has been rebuilt. And they start to read this book of the law that Ezra has found. 
And as they're reading the book of the law, the people are become aware of how far they are from God's law. And they begin to weep and they begin to wail because of their shortcomings. And this is what Ezra says to them. Ezra said to them, go eat the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for the day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your refuge. What do we find in this passage that if you, you don't really know joy until you know grief? You don't really know amazement until you've known disappointment. It is in that place that we have the greatest access to God's gifts. But we feel bad about feeling bad. We're disappointed about being disappointed. We're grieving about grieving. And we don't realize that right there is exactly the storehouse of God's gifts for us. So much for us to experience. This passage, eat the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, just makes me think of like Six Flags. When I was a kid, I would be going to, it was in California, so we'd be going to Disneyland or Six Flags or some other of the million amusement parks they have there because the weather is always perfect all the time. Um, and I would, I would think as a kid, there is nobody on earth doing anything better than what I'm doing right now. Imagine that being our constant state of reality with Jesus in his presence. That we are so joyful and amazed by everything that he, done, he does that we get to walk with this portable amusement park. You know what I'm saying? Funnel cakes. It's, it's scriptural. Psalm 16. In his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. That sounds like funnel cakes to me. <laughs> sounds like greasy, fried, salty food. This is a quote from Lord Byron. All who joy would win must share it. Happiness was born a twin. That joy is something that grows in us and begins to lead us. This is in Psalm 2, 1 through 6. Why are the nations restless and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's tear their shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And who is his king? that he's installed but Jesus. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, 
shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to That as we connect with the joy of who Jesus has made us to be, that we can be like those. In Zechariah, he writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. At this moment, when this happens in Scripture and Jesus is entering to Jerusalem and people are celebrating, in particular the children are celebrating, the adults begin to deny who Jesus is because maybe it doesn't take all that. Maybe you don't need all that. And Jesus says to them that surely If they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Someone or something will be amazed if we are not. If we don't stand and worship and welcome Jesus as king that he is, consistently coming into this earth and coming into our presence, when a king will return from um, victory or he will return from battle, everyone would throw this huge celebration because he has returned and this is our Savior who has come back to us that gives us the strength in the midst of grieving, gives us the strength in the midst of when we feel like we don't have anything. So if you are empty, yes, you are right next to the storehouse. You are right next to the storehouse of of joy. You are right next to the storehouse of his love. You are right next to the storehouse of his goodness. That empty doesn't mean empty in the kingdom. Empty means you are prepared to be filled. That as we invite him in to his presence with joy, then he has a tendency to stay. This is a picture I took in um, Rockefeller Chapel it's on the University of Chicago campus, and we visited there as like a, a, a group, a staff. This is years ago. Not, I mean, 2019. It feels like it was years ago, but uh, and this is the place where they come and they have all their best speakers come and speak in here. So God told me once that I was going to speak in this chapel, and I'm like, "What do you mean? Just like go in there and talk, or whatever, or what?" Um, but this picture that Chris took of me reminds me of the like the, not just the austere nature of these buildings that are built to supposedly to honor God but it does remind me of the amazement necessary in our promises and for us to keep in front of us so an object it can be a picture it can be a prophetic word whatever it may be so that we will have imagination around the things that God has spoken to us and the things that he has promised us. You guys want to stand up?
In Joshua 10, there is this wonderful passage of scripture where Joshua asked God to not let the sun go down until he secures victory against his enemies. That joy doesn't look like victory, but it looks like staying in the fight because we are amazed at who God is. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I just thank you today that um, it is with amazement and it is with joy that you have created us and you have given us an opportunity to walk into your beautiful kingdom today, God. As we do so, help us to be um, amazed with all that you've done and grateful for your promises, Jesus. You are the lily in the valley. You are the bright morning star coming in the form of a child. Let us rejoice. Rejoice for who you have made us to be and who you've called us to be as a body in this season. As we walk through Advent, anticipating the goodness of you walking into our lives, I thank you for every single person here, Father, that you have a specific surprise for them, that you have a specific way that the light is going to break through the darkness, that whether it is relationally, God, whether it is financially, whether it is professionally, that there is going to be a direct gift given to each and every person that will leave them in awe and leave them in amazement of who you are. And after you do stuff, I just imagine your face, this look of satisfaction, this look of love, this look of peace. And I speak your goodness and love and presence over each and every person here, God, that you still have the ability to be, um, to help us be joyful and to be amazed. And I thank you, God, that we will pause and take time to be in wonder and awe of all that you've done. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.